SBS, a world of difference. You're with NITV Radio, on mobile, online and on radio. We acknowledge the traditional owners of the land NITV broadcasts from, Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation and their elders, past and present. We also acknowledge all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander tribes and clans we broadcast to, from the mountains to the plains, from the desert to the sea, from freshwater to saltwater. Yama, and welcome to NITV Radio. Coming up uh, in your program this uh, Wednesday, the 12th of uh, April, we first look at uh, Living Black because uh, the program, Australia's longest running Indigenous current affairs uh, program, will return for a new season. 30th on NITV and also celebrating uh, the show's 20th anniversary. Over the last two decades, Living Black has largely contributed in shaping the national indigenous narrative. To discuss the impact of the award-winning program, I'll be joined by Karen Mandin, Reconciliation Australia CEO, who features in next week's landmark episode of Living Black. Karen Mandin shares her views as a key opinion leader who champions an equitable Australia and a reconciled country. Also in the program, in the context of Pajima 2023, currently taking place in Pantwe, Alice Springs, we invited Rola Kelly Marcel to give us a sneak peek into what he'll be talking about in one of Pajima's powerful in-talk conversations. We'll learn how Rola Kelly Marcel turned his life around from being a cancer survivor and mental health sufferer to founding a vibrant mental health charity and becoming a successful musician who also hosts his own indigenous cooking and cultural show on national TV. And TV Radio also bring you the story of Alira Jennings, a deadly woman who will attempt next week to become the first indigenous woman to complete all six major marathons in the world. We'll develop all these stories and more after the latest news coming to you from Nam on the Kulin Nation this Wednesday afternoon. Bertrand Tungandami, I am Bertrand Tungandami. Australia Day 1972 saw the first Aboriginal embassy erected outside Parliament. The native title legislation must be amended. And they've walked this land so many times before anybody came. I am sorry. The federal opposition forced to defend its approach to the voice to parliament referendum in the wake of Julian Lisa's resignation. The federal treasurer says Australia will probably avoid a recession despite bad news on the global front. And in sport, a huge victory for the Matildas ahead of the Women's World Cup beating England in London. Senior Liberal MP Julian Lisa has resigned from the opposition front bench to campaign for a year's vote in the Voice referendum. Lisa pointed out that he was at odds with party leader Peter Dutton's opposition to the proposal and that he was a staunch believer of indigenous representation in parliament. 
Mr. Lisa has the support of other Liberal Party representatives who support the voice, including MP Bridget Archer and Senator Andrew Bragg. He has told Sky News there is some work to do. Uh, for the next six weeks, we've got a parliamentary committee on, and as I've said, I think it's important that we actually look at amending the words that the government's put forward. Um, we want to make three three different sorts of amendments. The first is to get the government to commit to the local and regional bodies. That's the position of the coalition. Um, that was the position we took to the last election. It was a recommendation of the Calma Langton report. Um, I think it's fundamental to get those local and regional bodies out there to ensure the national body is well connected. In the meantime, the resignations of Peter Lisa has forced the Liberal Party to defend its approach to the voice to parliament referendum. Liberal Deputy Leader Susan Lee tried to minimize recriminations from Mr. Lisa's resignation, saying she will envision she still envisions Mr. Lisa as a minister in a future Liberal Party led federal government. But she's told the Seven Network the party's official position reflects the views of most of its parliamentarians and Mr Lisa is an outlier. Julian is in a unique position because of his long history with The Voice. But as deputy leader and someone who knows my colleagues well, the overwhelming view of our party room is the one that is being put forward right now by Peter Dutton and me. And that's important because we know that to get the best outcomes for Indigenous Australians, we do not want the divisive model that Anthony Albanese has put forward. Foreign Affairs Minister Penny Wong has praised Julian Lisa for choosing to leave the Liberal Party due to its stance on the voice to Parliament, arguing his decision showed great strength. He's put his principles first. He's put his principles ahead of partisan politics, uh, and we welcome that. Uh, it can't have been easy for him to do. It can't have been easy for him to relinquish portfolios which he demonstrably cares so deeply about. And he certainly knows as much about this issue as anyone and he understands this is a once in a generation chance to make a real difference in the lives of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people and to help close the gap. The voice is said to be put to a referendum later this year. Federal Treasurer Jim Chalmers is warning Australia is not immune from the global economic malaise but is on track to avoid a recession. Dr. Chalmers will today travel to the United States to take part in international economic meetings involving the World Bank and the International Monetary Fund. The IMF is forecasting Australia's gross domestic product will will stall somewhat, registering only 1.6% growth in 2023. Dr. Chalmers has told the ABC Australia is better placed than most countries because of low unemployment and good prices being paid for Australian exports. But the International, fund, the International Monetary Fund's chief economist, Pierre-Olivier Gouranchard, says the likes of Dr. Chalmers face a tough situation. We are entering a tricky phase during which economic growth remains low by historical standards, financial risks have increased, yet inflation has not decisively, decisively turned the corner. Policymakers will need a steady hand and clear communication. China's Executive Vice Minister of Foreign Affairs, Ma Xiaoshu, will hold talks with senior officials from the Department of Foreign Affairs in Canberra today as hopes rise amongst Australian farmers that, 
that China will ease trade restrictions. There has been a breakthrough on Chinese restrictions on exports of Australia and Bali, with the Chinese government conducting a review of relevant tariffs over the next three to four months and Australia opposing World Trade Organization action against China. Federal Minister Bill Shorten has told the Nine Network the government is seeing the rewards of being strong on the issue. The reality is that we're taking our action uh, under world trade rules. Uh, the Chinese have said, hold on for three months. Uh, we've said, we'll hold on for three months, give this other process time. At the end of the day, what we want is a result. Uh, I think that if Australia hadn't taken a strong position, maybe we wouldn't be in this position where the Chinese are saying they're going to reconsider uh, and review all the facts of the matter. The National Farmers Federation says it's now possible other stolen items with hefty tariffs imposed could re-enter the Chinese market without such penalty in the future. Switzerland's Upper House of Parliament has voted to to retrospectively approve more than $180 billion in financial guarantees to rescue investment bank Credit Suisse. After a heated debate, the Swiss Parliament has convened for a rare extraordinary session to vote on the matter. The lower house of Parliament must now vote on the matter, but its vote is largely symbolic as the government has already committed the funds for the rescue. Swiss President Alain Berset says that the decision is crucial to save the reputation of the Swiss economy. Une faillite du Crédit Suisse aurait eu des conséquences désastreuses pour le pays. The Credit Suisse bankruptcy would have had disastrous consequences for the country, for companies, for private clients, but also for the reputation of Switzerland. So in this context, we had to act fast. The Federal Council had to use the emergency law. This is actually to deal with situations that threaten the country and that can be avoided, that this right was created. So on that basis, the Federal Council reiterate that the emergency law, by definition, is part of our judicial framework and that it is regulated by our constitution. Russian President Vladimir Putin is lauding what he says is the resilience of his country's economy despite sanctions brought on by the invasion of Ukraine. Mr. Putin says positive trends across the Russian economy are gathering pace due to the rising global oil prices. Non-oil and gas revenues increased by about 14% or 1.4 trillion rubles, while oil and gas revenues decreased slightly by about 1.3 trillion rubles, primarily due to a high base and the specifics of the pricing environments in global markets last year. The situation is expected to change by the end of the second quarter amid rising oil prices and additional oil and gas revenues will start flowing into the budget. At the same time, I would like to point out the external risks for our economy have not gone away and we are well aware of that. Oil futures have risen more than 5% since a decision last week to further cut production targets from next month. Russia is the world's third largest oil producer and the largest exporter of oil to the global market. The International Monetary Fund has raised its, has raised its forecast for the rise in Russia's gross domestic product in 2023 to 0.07%, up from 0.3%. But it has cut its 2024 growth forecast to 1.3%, down from 2.1%, saying the exodus of Western companies and a labor shortage will hurt Russia.
Canada is to give more support to Ukraine in its war against Russia. Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau has met with his counterpart from Ukraine, Denis Schmiel, in Toronto. Mr. Trudeau says Canada is imposing new sanctions on 14 Russian individuals and 34 Russian entities, including security targets linked to the Wagner Group, which is providing mercenaries to fight on Russia's side in Ukraine. There are also sanctions on nine entities tied to the financial sector in Russia's ally Belarus, whom Mr. Trudeau calls enablers of Russia. The Canadian Prime Minister also says his country will be sending more weapons to help Ukraine. In the last 15 months, Canada has provided around $9 billion in support to Ukraine. And back home, there are calls to increase the frequency of superannuation payments for some Australian workers. Industry Super Australia says some employers are taking advantage of a law that allows them to pay superannuation quarterly. It says aligning the payment of superannuation with the payment of wages for all workers will curb superannuation underpayments. The organization has analyzed the latest tax data, which shows that in Victoria alone, workers are missing out on a combined $1 billion in superannuation each year. It says tradespeople, laborers, and machine operators are most likely to be underpaid at superannuation. Around 4.2 million Australian workers are paid their superannuation quarterly. And to sport in football, Australia has achieved a huge victory over ahead of co-hosting the Women's World Cup later this year. The Matildas have defeated England two goals to nil in London. England, the European women's champions, were undefeated in their last 30 games coming into the match. Matilda's captain Samka was involved in both goals. She scored the first one herself, getting on the end of a long pass from defence by Claire Polkinghorne that England could then deal with and shooting over the top of the goalkeeper in the 32nd minute of play. In the 67th minute, Samka set up the second goal, crossing the ball to Charlotte Grant who scored after her shot took a deflection of an England player. Cahas told the 10 Network the Matilda's victory was truly a collective effort against the odds. I think that was a real team performance. Um, everyone put a shift in and I think you know everyone played really well out of their skin to be honest and that takes a lot to come over here, beat England at home with so many players out. Um, shows how strong the team is. And now having a look at the weather around the country this Wednesday afternoon, Broome mostly cloudy, 29 degrees, Perth a shower 2, 24, Adelaide also a shower 2 and a top of 21, Melbourne cloudy 19, Hobart showers developing 19, Albury Wodonga cloudy 13 degrees, Canberra showers 16, Wollongong showers increasing 22, Sydney also expecting showers and a top of 24, Newcastle a shower 2 later in the day, 25 degrees, Brisbane sunny day ahead, 29. Townsville, partly cloudy, 33. Keynes, much the same, 32 degrees. Alice Springs, also partly cloudy and 32. Darwin, showers and a possible storm, 32 degrees. And the Torres Strait Islands, partly cloudy day ahead and a top of 30 degrees. And that is NITV Radio News. Monday, Wednesday, Friday at 1pm or anytime online. 
I'm Patron Tungandami and you're listening to NITV Radio, broadcasting from Nam on the Kulin Nation this Wednesday afternoon. Coming up in the program today, well, conversation with the Reconciliation Australia CEO, Karen Mandin, reflecting on the impact of living black in shaping First Nations narratives. A conversation in the sidelines of living black's 20th anniversary. On NITV Radio today, we also talk to Rola Kelly Mansell. Rola Kelly Mansell will be sharing his extraordinary story ahead of his appearance at a Pajima later this week. We also bring you the story of a deadly woman who will attempt to be the first indigenous woman to run all six major marathons. Join the conversation on radio, online and mobile. You're with NITV Radio. Karen Mandin is the CEO of Reconciliation Australia and she's one of the opinion leaders leading the national narrative on an equitable and reconciled Australia. And I'm happy to say that Karen Mandin is joining us on NITV Radio after featuring in an upcoming episode of Living Black, marking the 20th anniversary of the program. Living Black is Australia's leading Indigenous current affairs program focusing on issues concerning Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander communities. Karen Mandin, thanks a lot for joining us on NITV Radio and uh, can you share with us your views on having a program like uh, Living Black on our airwaves leading First Nations narratives? It's been fantastic to be part of this 20th um, anniversary of such an important show. Um, 20 years in uh, television, I believe, is like dog years. So um, I think it, to see it last so long. But I think it also speaks to just the importance of um, telling First Nations stories, not just for First Nations peoples, but for all peoples, all Australians. Um, you know, it was highlighted, you know, all the different um, issues that... Uh, Living Black has been part of and, you know, telling those stories, bringing them to light, uh, bringing them to the Australian community has been such an important part of it. And for my part, to to be a small, very small part of that, um, it's been really quite an honour. Yeah, you've known Australia before and after Living Black and NITV. How would you describe the difference after this platform and program uh, came into being? Australia is always going to be better for telling different stories, um, telling the stories of different Australians, different walks of life. And so for NITV, for Living Black to be part of that, um, to open up this other world of stories, of narratives, of dealing with some of you know the tough and, and the, the issues that really are facing First Nations peoples and to be part of that conversation, to shape that conversation. Um, it, it's been absolutely important. Um, that's about this bigger, wider, multicultural Australia that we are. And to have those First Nations voices centred in all of that is just so important. Yeah, I know you've featured uh, several times on the program and uh, the program has had a lot of uh, really groundbreaking uh, episodes, including last year when uh, Carla Grant profiled actually uh, First Nations personalities from sports people to politicians and uh, elders. What's your most uh, memorable uh, program you'd remember in the last uh, twenty years of this uh, program of this um, yeah, series? 
That's really hard to choose just one. And can I just say a big shout out to Carla Grant. I mean, she has been the face of Living Black, but she's also the heart and soul of it. And um, I think she's one of those amazing quiet achievers. She's a leader in and of herself, um, again, doing such an amazing job as a journalist, as a reporter, as a producer. Um, and I don't think it's um, – I, I think it's – you can't really talk about Living Black without talking about Carla and just how amazing she is. But if I had to think of one interview that stands out the most for me, I think it was the Dalai Lama. I mean, he is just such a, a charismatic um, individual in and of himself. But I think that the tenderness and softness of which that interview was, that expression of hope and kindness, which doesn't often get featured in current affairs programs. And I think we're poorer for, for not doing that. So that's probably the one that, that sticks out in my mind. You know, that's a very powerful one. And uh, just myself, I just look at all the issues that Carla has been championing, including all the injustices, uh, the deaths in custody, and uh, all the social issues that are ongoing and uh, are not properly addressed. And um, well, again, she is so professional. Uh, there is that quietness about her, but underneath that quietness, there is a, a strength and a, a solidness, um, solid in the black way, we would say that. But also, you know, she's just a great journalist and she digs into the hard issues. She doesn't um, shy away from it. But as I said, she does it with tenderness and kindness. And I think there needs to be more of that in the world. I know you're very diplomatic, but is there an area of improvement you would see on the program? Oh, Be critical. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just, more Carla Grant is what I would say. Okay, and uh, Karen Mandin, before we part, as usual, just a closing word. Oh, a closing word. Well, here's to 20 years of living black and here's to 20 more of telling our stories, our First Nations stories for the world. Karen Mandin, CEO of Reconciliation Australia, thank you very much for taking the time to talk to us on NITV Radio in the context of uh, living black's uh, 20 years and uh, 30th uh, season. Thank you. Welcome back. Uh, coming up next on NITV Radio, a conversation with uh, Rala Kelly Marcel sharing his story ahead of his uh, presentation at Pachima taking place currently in Pantwell, Ali Springs. Rala Kelly Marcel's uh, participation actually is a powerful talk. Uh, that will take place exactly on April 16. Also in the program, we have the story of Alira Jennings, a deadly woman who will attempt next week in New York to be the first indigenous woman to finish all six major marathons. Join the conversation on radio, online and mobile. You're with NITV Radio. Pajima, the only authentic Aboriginal light and art festival, returns for 2023 with an incredible lineup of trailblazing Indigenous speakers and opinion leaders for the festival's In Talks Conversations. And I'm pleased to say that one of the most anticipated speakers at uh, Pajima 2023, Rola Marcel, cancer survivor, the founder of a positive mental health charity, Make Runs Maxi, and also part of the rising hip-hop duo Marlon and Rala. First of all, thanks for joining us on NITV Radio, Rala. Thanks for having me, yeah. Thanks for having me. Now, I've just said in a few words some of the things you're most uh, famous for, but 
your personal journey is way, way, way more than I can fit in a few words. Can you share your journey with us? I grew up in, in the northern part of, of Luchawita, Tasmania. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a bush bush baby. I'm from a place kind of out towards Cradle Mountain, uh, you know, Mole Creek, Deloraine uh, area, little towns through there. And and uh, kind of, yeah, grew up around native wildlife. My, my father uh, operates a, a native wildlife conservation sanctuary. Um, so I kind of grew up around Tassie devils and, and wombats and kangaroos and, you know, west-tailed eagles and, and white goshawks, black cockatoos, masked owls, you know, a heap of native Tasmanian animals that we have and kind of just spent, yeah, the, the first kind of first part of my life, um, I guess, in that world. And, um, you know, my mother is a, a moonbird woman uh, from from Flinders Island. She was born on Flinders Island, uh near Waibalina, where Waibalina is where the mission was in Flinders Island. And, you know, my grandparents, my grandmother and grandfather are from, from the islands, born on Cape Barren, Cape Barren Island and, and, and Flinders, Flinders Island, which is where, you know, the Aboriginal community were kind of segregated towards uh, were those islands. So, you know, I, I have a strong connection to to the island and through my family you know Mansell is is uh you know the biggest clan name back home on the island so we have uh you know have a lot of cousins a lot of uncles and aunties my pops one of 22 so yeah quite a large family um and just kind of grew up on the island I, I kind of yeah grew up just doing what most kids do on the island really is just kind of you know hunting and fishing and 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 getting getting your hands dirty and and just being out 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 in the wild um, and then kind of yeah just moved into sports um, played sports all through my adolescence and and it kind of steered me off the island and, and I was able, fortunate enough to be able to travel and and live you know throughout the country live in Melbourne and and now Adelaide and and um, you know I've been able to travel the world through sports and was fortunate enough to connect with with Marlon on that journey um, you know some years ago and um, we played football together at the Glenelg Footy Club in the SANFL and and um, and yeah, we we um we had a couple of years there and then um, you know I got diagnosed um, kind of at the start of 2020 with with cancer and, and then kind of transitioned into music and, and we've we've been on this journey of of music um, ever since. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's uh, quite a journey. And when you said you played uh, footy at Glenelg Football Club, it's not just as a junior player. You played professionally for the club. Uh, you know, I played state league footy, you know, across three states, being Tasmania, Victoria, in the VFL and and the SANFL here in, in Adelaide. I missed out on my draft year when I was 17, 18. I kind of went back home and had to reassess and I stuck at kind of the, the sporting path and Still had a bit of interest from some AFL clubs probably until about 25, 26 and that's kind of when I decided to make the move to Adelaide um, was kind of my last kind of really shot at, at, at trying to maybe get onto a list and you know unfortunately or fortunately depending on which way you look at it you know it, it, moving here um, that that was the goal and, and I you know I got diagnosed and, and it kind of put a halt to footy and, and kind of um, put life into perspective and you know I've always had music a part of my life and you know we, it, well there's no real plan really it kind of happened really organically and naturally but I just decided to just put it, invest a bit more into music and, and, and Marlon and I just put out a song 
yeah. just randomly online one one day a song that I'd written a few years before and and it, yeah it kind of went a little bit viral and then you know our third show we were opening for Midnight Oil so it was a, it was a pretty crazy yeah, start you, to, our, to our journey when you say uh, opening for Midnight Oil with uh, it's just uh, not Midnight Oil it's uh, opening uh, for the great and uh, legendary Archie Roach so not just uh, one of those little small gigs that uh, every aspiring musician gets to perform in 100% and you know like again very fortunate and lucky to, to uh, know Uncle Archie and Annie Ruby you know for as long as I did which was, was most of my life you know when when they used to come and play shows and come down to, to our island um, they had you know they were, they were friends with um, with my my mother and um, so you know and my mum my mother was an, a, a you know staunch Aboriginal activist um, so you know that they connected long before I was even born so you know to know um, people like that your whole life and have them in your corner and And then later in life, when you transition into music, you know, um, and be able to, you know, to, to 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 share space with Uncle Archie and Auntie, you know, Auntie Ruby, and uh, in any capacity is is a is a blessing. But for us to be able to, you know, we were lucky to enough to 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 have an intimate session with with Uncle Archie when he when he came and played his last Womad, which was when we opened for Midnight Oil in, in a in a hotel room. We we played him a song that. He didn't even know that I was doing music. He thought I was still playing sports. So it was kind of a, a, a nice little surprise for him to actually be like, oh, you, you didn't even tell me that you did music. You know? And then from that moment, he kind of, um, you know, put his arm around us and, and, and gave us some really great opportunities in, um, in, you know, in the later part of his life. And we were a part of his kitchen table yarns during the COVID period. And then, of course, you know, we were a part of, of Uncle Archie's Like a Version with Triple J for, for NAIDOC Week last year which which we did two weeks before his passing and it was his last recording so it was um quite a, a surreal feeling and experience and and um you know we just kind of look back on that time as, as very very fortunate and very um very lucky to be a part of of that journey and and um and share that that time with with him Yeah, speaking about Nidal Quick, uh, you are also a recipient of a past Nidal Quick accolade, which is testimony you are not only acknowledged by your peers in sports and uh, the music industry, you also enjoy a wide community recognition as well. I think that was 20, 2020 was, was when I received that award, which was, again, special, like what, what you said. You know, it's, it's, it's less about, you know, the award as such but more so just about you know the recognition and at the end of the day you know like we really reflect our own communities and, and who we represent so you know that that really just speaks to the people that have supported um, myself and, and have um, you know encouraged um, myself and and uh, and who have inspired me to to to, to um to leave home you know and, and and go venture out into the world and, and just try and you know pave somewhat of a path you know for, for you know any, any younger generations coming through that you know if they if they want to you know leave the island and and achieve what's in their mind and, and have big aspirations um that they can you know and i think that's that's our you know responsibility is to inspire you know the generations coming through 
um, that, that, that they can do that, you know. And so, no, I don't take that lightly. Um, and, and, you know, you're very fortunate that that was recognised that year, you know, with, with the award. But, um, yeah, it's... Um, yeah. Yeah. Coming back to your charity, Make Runs uh, Maxi, uh, can you tell us a little bit more about this charity? Because uh, promoting positive mental health is uh, something that's uh, very, very important, uh, not only for the wider community, but especially in First Nations communities. Uh, you know, Make Runs Maxi, again, was a very organic process. It was It was incubated out of myself going through some really you know, dark and challenging times and I ended up in, in hospital um, over attempted suicide and then I kind of had a good support network around me and, and they helped, helped myself, you know, get get into a space where I could be, you know, happy and healthy and productive and, and want to help and then, you know, just as that was starting to happen, you know, a young a young boy that, that I coached in football, um, his nickname was Maxi, you know, he passed away um, at the age of 16 and you know he um, he 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 managed you know mental health challenges and um, and as a result you know he, he um, you know he, he made a I guess an irrational decision which which unfortunately met he he was forced into an induced coma and and, um, and then whether they had to turn his life support off so you know it was um it, it was, you know, I come from, a, again, a small community, you know, a small town, country town where everyone helps everyone and we all just try and um, look out for each other and I thought, you know, the least that I could do was, you know, like every time I would go speak or go give a talk about mental health that, you know, I'd speak under this banner, Make Runs Maxi, just to pay respect to to Isaac or Maxi, is his nickname, and his family and, um, and it just kind of organically rolled on and then you know got to the point where could register the charity as a non-for-profit and and uh, you know it's still it's still running I'm, I'm not involved on the ground with it anymore just purely because i'm interstate and i'm um and i've got a lot on my plate but um it doesn't again like what you mentioned it doesn't disregard the fact that, that mental health is still quite prevalent particularly in aboriginal and torres Strait Islander communities you know and and it's it's uh it needs it needs, um, you know, energy and care and, and, and love and support. And the best way to do that is just to, is to have conversations around what is happening and then, and then seek to find, I guess, an action plan of how, that, how we can help. So if I can do that through, through having somewhat of a platform, then, then, um, then I'll continue to do that. And uh, coming back to your participation in Parjima in a few days' time, uh, can you tell us uh, which day you'll be there and, uh, yeah, about the talk uh, you'll be delivering there and uh, maybe other activities? I'm there on the Sunday, on the, on the 16th of April, and, I, and I'm looking forward to people um, coming and being involved in the conversation. You know, I, I'm really looking forward to it. It's a really amazing opportunity to, to head up to Parchmore and Alice Springs. You know, my, my mother lived in Alice Springs for a few years, my 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 brother, I'm one or two, and my older brother was actually born in Alice Springs, funnily enough. So, um, you know, it's I've got connections to to that to that area, and you know, my rhythm guitarist in, in our band, he, he's an Alice Springs boy. He's an Archie, Roland Archie. His father, the, the legend 
Uncle Paul Archie will be at Parchman as well, you know, speaking and playing. So I'm looking forward to the opportunity to, to, to be in Alice Springs and, and just, I guess, immerse myself in in the festival and in, and in, in the country as well. And I'm, I'm only there two or so days, but I'm going to make the most of it. I look forward to, you know, connecting with as many people as, as possible while I'm there and, and um, yeah, having having a good conversation. Yeah, and before I let you go, just a word or two about uh, your documentary because you're also into cooking. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. It's, it's so you know, I've got a I've got a TV um, pilot series that's on iView called uh, Cooking on Country uh, with Valor Kelly Mantle, and um, it features uh, yeah, again my my right hand man, uh, my brother Marlon Motlop, and and his cousin Daniel Motlop. We we travel to Darwin to his home homelands. Larrakee country and we, we go out hunting and and and, uh, and and make make them into what we hunt into more modern and tradition modern dishes and it's a really um, amazing opportunity to showcase Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander culture through food and you know it's a universal thing we all we all we're all a part of of, of uh, you know a food culture in some way shape or form and and I think uh, you know we we have uh, you know a, a process here with our First Nations people including myself and my community of, of, of how we go about food and the mentality and attitude around how we how we collect and, and how we um, you know continue just to have a balanced lifestyle with, with eating and and, and um, utilizing what's around us um, so yeah it's, it's, a, it's on the IV you can give it a watch um, it, yeah it'd be deadly well uh, Rola thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us on ITV radio today thanks for having me. NITV Radio. Share our stories on Facebook. Welcome back. Now, a Darwin mom is about to become the first Aboriginal woman to complete all six of the world's big marathons. Alira Jennings started running after she lost her grandmother to diabetes t- 10 years ago. Leticia Limke reports. Steady breathing and the rhythm of sneakers landing on a hot concrete path. This is the sound of Alira Jennings running for her life. The Kungarakan and Gurindji woman is part of a significant group of Australians facing some of the worst rates of diabetes in the world. It's throughout all of my family on the Indigenous side, yep. So my all of my grandparents, so my grandma's siblings... Um, my dad has diabetes and I was set to become the hat trick, but I beat that. <laughs> I used to just think that it was inevitable that I was predestined to have diabetes because it just runs in the family. Um, but I think my generation and the next generation after us, we're really breaking that, we're breaking that chain. Alira Jennings says she's managed to avoid getting type 2 diabetes by running, but says it could have been a very different story. I wasn't always a runner. I got quite heavy. I was almost 110 kilos. Um, And when I lost my grandma to diabetes, I um, came to the realisation that I needed to not waste my life. Alira was 27 when she started running and it wasn't easy. Because I was really heavy and I could only shuffle, I could not run, Um, I could only shuffle 50 metres at a time and I just kept on doing that over and over and over, Um, walk, break, shuffle, walk, break, shuffle 
um, until, until the weight started dropping off and I started to get fitter. Her first marathon was in New York with health promotion charity Indigenous Marathon Project. Stepping out as a solo athlete, she's now run the New York Marathon twice, as well as the Chicago, Berlin, London and Tokyo events. You know, it is a lot of money, but my biggest investment is my health. I'm no use to anybody. I'm no use to my parents or my children if I'm sick and they're taking care of me. Now on her way to Boston, Alira will make history as the first Aboriginal woman to run all six of the world's major marathons. Western Arunda man Charlie Ma was the first Aboriginal man to hold that title when he crossed the finish line in London in November last year. We just love doing things to make an impact and help inspire others to be better in health and look after their health and well-being. And um, Yeah, I'm very proud of what she's going to achieve in Boston and we'll all be watching um, and cheering her on as well. He says it's not about how fast you run, but why you are running. And for Alira, that's not just about improving her own health outcomes, but encouraging other people to do the same. Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people are almost four times more likely than non-Indigenous Australians to develop diabetes. And in the remote Northern Territory, 20 to 29-year-olds are up to 26 times more likely to be diagnosed with type 2 diabetes than the same age group across the rest of Australia. Professor Jacqueline Hughes is a kidney specialist and clinical researcher at Flinders University in Darwin. Type 2 diabetes, uh, a condition that's normally associated in much older people if you come from a non-Indigenous family in Australia, that's a real concern in Australia. But when we look at other families, particularly Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander families, diabetes is a big condition. It's a concerning condition. It happens much younger in life. And that means the complications of diabetes happen much younger in life. I look after people with kidney disease. Many people come to my care because of a long story of diabetes that might have affected them much earlier in life. Uh, So it's really important that we have information to support holistic health, things that things that people can do for themselves, but also things that the healthcare system can do and medications and whatever that all come together. Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people deserve to have access to great information to support their great health progress. Family have gathered at a local cafe to farewell Alira before her big race. Her father, Alan Ludwig, is beaming at how she's changed her life. And she had that hallelujah moment and said, I'm going to do something about it for myself. And she um, done it. You know, she done it. She started going to a gym, started running and hasn't stopped. And I don't see her stopping any time soon either. The message to any, any kid, I think, or any person really, is look, believe in yourself and you can accomplish anything. The Boston Marathon will be held on April 17. Letitia Lemke, SBS News. Visit sbs.com.au slash NITV radio. With uh, this beautiful one, a matter of choice by Yotu Yindi, we come to the end of today's program. Bertrand Tungandami, Bertrand Tungandami, thanking you for your company this uh, Wednesday afternoon. Till next time, bye for now. Yalu. Yeah,